You can open your Bibles to the book of Jonah. All month here in this Mission Emphasis Month, we will be in the book of Jonah. And really trying to walk through there and see God's grace and mercy and compassion that he has for the nations. As so if you see right there the front of your bulletin, it's uh, Jonah embracing God's heart for the nations. So what we want to see here as we open the book of Jonah. We'll be in the introduction part this morning, just chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. There's a short passage, just four verses, but there's so much there. And my prayer is that God would wake us all up to not make the same mistakes that Jonah's making here in this passage. So as we start, I just want to get us thinking about two categories, right? It's easy to categorize people into two categories. You can say tall or short, male or female. You can say outgoing or shy. You can say friendly or mean, right? You can say all these different categories, young, old. But as we think about our passage today, I just want to think about this category. Really, there's two kinds of people. You, at times, are either a morning person or not a morning person. I don't know which one you are. I've been both in my life. Strangely, in this season of my life with young kids, it seems I can go both ways. It just depends on what day of the week it is. Is it the weekend? Is it the work week? What's going on? What does God have planned for me? Either you're a morning person or you're not a morning person. And when I'm not a morning person, here's just my confession. I'll just be really honest. Maybe some of you can relate to me. I wake up in the morning, and the last thing on my mind is getting out of bed. The last thing on my mind. It can be cold, especially the weather's turning, right? I don't want to get out and put my bare feet on the cold floor. It's nice and warm and cozy in my covers. There is a comfort there, and the last thing I want to do is get out of that comfortable setting, right? I want to stay there, snuggled up, warm and cozy, not doing anything but hitting the snooze button. Just a confession. I don't know if any of y'all have ever been there, uh, but I've been there, all right? You're the morning person or not a morning person. There's a comfort zone that's established there when you're still tired, you're still sleepy, it's cold, and the last thing you want to do is get out of that little comfortable cocoon in your bed, right? That's the last thing you want to do. We're going to open up the passage today and see that Jonah found himself in a similar situation in his prophet ministry. He had gotten comfortable there, and God was calling him out. We're going to see what happens in his life as he is called out from the comfortable. Let's read together. I'll read you, follow along. Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish. From the presence of the Lord, he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Before we start to unpack this passage this morning, it's so easy just to read over this glorious truth here, just in the first few words of Jonah chapter 1. Did you see it? Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Do you realize how 
awesome that is? Do you realize what's happening there? If you're an Old Testament prophet and you see there, thus saith the Lord, he's supposed to go out and proclaim these things. It's not just Jonah felt a leading of the Holy Spirit. That would have been nice. It's not just Jonah read somewhere in the scrolls. It was the audible voice of God. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. That's a big deal, and it's so easy when we're reading the Old Testament just to read over this phrase and not realize the magnitude of a statement like that. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. It's not as if he said, I just wonder what God's calling me to do. I don't really know. Maybe I should go to Nineveh. Maybe I should go the opposite direction. Absolutely not. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, and this is a privilege of the Old Testament prophet, a privilege of a select few in the New Testament that had heard the audible voice of God. We don't want to look past that. Not that we want to paint Jonah to be a bad guy because he rebelled, but listen to what's happening here. He heard God's voice and still didn't obey. It's easy just to say, come on, Jonah, do better, right? Now, where I might not hear God's audible voice, I've got the scriptures. How often am I guilty of reading something in the scriptures and rather than obeying, rather than receiving the joy in my walk with Christ by walking with him and obeying his commands, I make the same mistake as Jonah. And I get up and not just go some other way, I get up and go the exact opposite way. That's not what I want my life to look like. And you'll see later that I think Jonah really is crying out saying, don't make my same mistake. He heard God's word audibly and went the opposite way. You see the big idea there in the passage that when you embrace God's heart for the nations, it's going to call you out from what's comfortable and call you into his presence. We're going to look at that here in these first four verses. But first we have to answer the question, what does this mean, this phrase, God's heart for the nations? And does that, is that really seen here in the book of Jonah? Well, we need to spend some time thinking about that. If you're familiar with Jonah, you know about God's compassion and grace. His heart for the nations is revealed here with the sailors. It's revealed here with, of course, the nation of Israel. It's revealed here with the Ninevites, the Assyrians. So we see those things. And we ask the question, did God's heart just change all of a sudden right in the middle of the Old Testament? All of a sudden now, he's a God of grace and compassion, and he reaches out to the pagan nations who have rebelled him for rebelled against him for hundreds and thousands of years. Is that what happened? Did God's heart just change? Or, from day one, has God always had a heart for the nations, always desiring to give his salvation to every tongue and every tribe and every nation? Which one is it? We have to make that decision right here on the outset. I'm going to argue that it's the latter. See, many of you, if you grew up in church, I didn't grow up in church, but I still know the song, maybe because I have little kids. You know the song. Maybe you can help me sing it. It goes like this, Father Abraham had many sons, had many sons have Father Abraham, I'm one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord, right, right arm, left arm, head, all the whole nine, right? It's a fun song. It's a fun song. Maybe that's why I learned it, because I like having fun. Well, why do we sing that song? We sing that song because we realize that if we are found in Christ, if we are believers, we have been adopted into his family, grafted into the promises that God made to a nation thousands of years ago, and that promise was delivered through one man, Abraham. You can go back there, write this down, Genesis chapter 12. 
Genesis chapter 12, God is calling Abraham out of the land into a land that he doesn't know of yet and promising some things. I will bless you. I will make you a great nation. You will have many children. I will give you a land. But do you know what else it promises in Genesis 12 verse 3? God makes this promise to him. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. All the families, not just your own descendants, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That means every tribe, every tongue, every nation. So you don't think all of a sudden we see the book of Jonah and say, oh, well, God must want to give mercy to the Assyrians, his enemies. God must want to show grace and compassion to the Ninevites. He must have changed his mind. Absolutely not. Right here, Genesis 12, verse 3. Abraham, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Since the very beginning, God had the nations in mind. God's heart for the nations. We see it in the Psalms. Flip your Bibles to Psalm uh, chapter 96. We're going to read the first three verses there, but it's not only in 96. You see it in uh, Psalm 9, verse 11. Sing praises to the Lord who sits enthroned in Zion. Tell among the peoples his deeds. That means all peoples. I'm reading here in 96, verses 1 through 3. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless His name. Tell of His salvation from day to day. Declare His glory among the nations. His marvelous works among all peoples. God's heart for the nations. You see it again in Psalm 105, verse 1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon His name. Make known His deeds among the peoples. God's heart for the nations. And then maybe most strikingly in Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6, it says this. He says, Is it too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel? I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Yes, Israel was God's chosen people, God's chosen nation, but he always desired to use them that they might be a light to all nations, all peoples, to the ends of the earth. This a short survey of these Old Testament passages just reveals God's heart for the nations. Are you getting the bigger picture here? Does it give you a grand view of God's compassion and grace and mercy? That he desired to redeem a people for himself in every tribe, every tongue, every nation. If those things are true, then how can you individually, if you're a follower of Christ, how can you better reflect God's heart for the nations in your own life? If just a short survey, five minutes of looking at a few passages in the Old Testament reflects this grand vision of God's heart for the nations, how can you reflect that in your own life? What needs to change today? What needs to change this morning that you would ask God, Lord, break my heart for the nations. Give me your heart for the nations. Help me to see a grand picture of your salvation, not just for me alone, but for generation after generation after generation after me, and not just for my family alone, not just for my city alone, but to the ends of the earth. 
God, give me a heart for the nations. That's where we start understanding this whole picture in the book of Jonah. And then we continue to look at this idea that he's calling Jonah out from the comfortable. So if you're taking notes, just write this down. Called out from our comfort zones. Verses 1 and 2, let me read them again. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Being called out to Nineveh. Well, we need to understand a bit of the context for Jonah's ministry thus far. Uh, What had happened is Israel had already been under the oppression of Assyria. These warriors had come in and just slaughtered, uh, brought havoc, all kinds of violence and blood, craziness. They were having to pay taxes and were oppressed by this nation of Assyria. Why? You can go to the book of Kings and see the reason why, because Israel was being disobedient. God was bringing judgment, desiring for them to turn and repent. What happened in the book of 2 Kings chapter 14 is we see, even though the king, Jeroboam II, was not fully repentant, not fully leading Israel back to God, God had promised a blessing. God had promised a restoration. Let's read what it says here in 2 Kings chapter 14. In the 15th year of Amaziah, I'm in verse 23. The son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, began to reign in Samaria. He reigned 41 years and did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebet, that's his father, which he made Israel to sin. He restored the border of Israel from Labo Hamath as far as the Sea of Arabia. According to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gath-hefer. See, Jonah's whole ministry thus far has been proclaiming this restoration. God is so good. God is so gracious. He's restoring us, Israel. Our borders are going out. No longer are we under the oppression of Assyria. What good news, right? It's fun to be that kind of prophet. God's doing great things. He's restoring us. Right here in Jonah chapter 1. Jonah? Arise, go to Nineveh, their evil has come upon me, speak against them. Tell them my judgment is coming and they need to repent. All of a sudden, this comfortable ministry that Jonah has had, right? He was doing the right thing. God had called him to proclaim the restoration of his people, of his nation. All of a sudden, it gets hard. All of a sudden, God's calling him to do something that's not easy. God's calling him to do something that's not comfortable. No wonder he runs and goes the opposite direction. I think what's happening here is God is calling him out of his comfort zone. He's called out from what's comfortable. And here's the tricky thing. It's not always bad things that God would call us away from. See, we might be comfortable in good things. Jonah obeying the Lord and fulfilling his role as a prophet in Israel, that's a good thing. Him saying, God is so gracious. God is so compassionate. God is restoring us. That's not a bad thing. It's a good thing for him to fulfill that ministry. It only becomes bad when we get so comfortable in this area over here, and God calls us out, and we say, I don't know about going out there. That's too hard. I'd rather stay in here where it's comfortable and cozy. 
that's when it becomes bad. And so the, the application for us is, have we gotten comfortable? And God is calling us to go out and make disciples of all nations, but it's really easy just to stay here and sit in our pew and get comfortable. How is God calling you specifically this morning to get out of your comfort zone? Get out of what's comfortable and do something hard for His glory and for His namesake. Could it be that you got saved and it's been years and years and years and you're plugged into the church and you're enjoying the blessing of being in a relationship with God and we're sitting here together and we've forgotten what God has called us to do. We've forgotten what God has called us to be all about, making disciples. Could it be that today is a day that he's reminding you right now, it's a gracious thing for him to remind you and say, hey, listen, have my heart for the nations. Come out of what's comfortable. Do something for me and behold, I will be with you. My presence will be with you. Church involvement is a very good thing. Having fellowship and accountability and relationships with believers, this is a very good thing. I'm not saying that it's bad to come here and worship Christ every Sunday. I'm saying it's bad if it stops here and we don't go out those doors and fulfill the task that Christ has given us to make disciples of all nations. That's why we're here. It's really easy to get comfortable in the seats that we sit in. How is God calling us out from what's comfortable? How is God calling us out of our comfort zone? As we see Jonah putting his comforts over God's calling him to the nations, it's really a hatred that Jonah has. It's hard to say that, right? Because we're right here in chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, and you say, really, do you see hatred in Jonah's heart for the Ninevites? But I think, yeah, if you carry it down and really see what's motivating him to run, there's a hatred there, and it's a twofold hatred. Here's the first part. He is more concerned about his own skin than he is about the Ninevites. Evil has come up in front of God, and God is saying, I'm going to judge them, and by my mercy and compassion, I want to give them a warning and an opportunity to repent. Jonah says, no, I'm a lot more concerned about me than I am about them. I'm a lot more concerned about my own skin than I am about their repentance or their salvation. Play that out, and it begins to be more of a hatred, not just a laziness, but a hatred. If he doesn't show them love by laying down his life, it just means he's hating them. I'm more concerned about my own skin than I am about their salvation. That's number one. Here's a second form of that hatred. I think there's a prejudice here. Jonah's been in his nation among his people, proclaiming restoration. God's expanding our borders. This is a really good thing. God says, arise, go to Nineveh. We understand the context. We understand really who these people are. These are the same people that were holding the nation captive, the same people that were oppressing Israel, the same people that were warring against Israel. And Jonah says, I don't want to go to them. I hate those people. Listen to what it says in chapter 4, verse 2. This is after the Ninevites come to repentance. So if you don't know the story, sorry, I'm buzzkill here, showing you the end of the story. Okay, They're going to repent, praise God for that. After they repent, this is what Jonah says in chapter 4. 
He's talking to God. He says this in verse 2. He prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That's why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Basically, Jonah's saying, God, I just knew you were going to forgive those evil pagans. That's why I didn't want to go. I can't believe you would do that, God. Write down Nahum. It's another minor prophet. Nahum chapter 3, verse 1. It says this about the nation of Assyria, and specifically the city of Nineveh. Woe to the bloody city, all full of lies and plunder. There is no end to their prey. This is a people that was known to be gory and bloody and violent. They had been very creative with how they punished their enemies. Very creative with their tactics for war, their tactics for punishment. And Jonah is saying, I want nothing to do with those people. I hate those people. Showing a prejudice maybe almost as if to say, they don't deserve your compassion, God. They don't deserve your grace, O oh God. What if God was pouring out salvation and mercy, compassion? What if he was drawing people to repent away from radical Islam? We see in the news all the times, ISIS, what's happening when people are getting slaughtered, this violent, gory oppression and persecution. But what if God was calling one of us to go preach repentance to them? What if God was bringing salvation to that people, those people? Would we have the heart that Jonah has? They don't deserve your grace, God. I hate those people. Could it be that God is softening us even now to realize we're not showing the love of God when he's called us to go out to the ends of the earth. What we're really doing is showing hatred. It's a twofold kind of hatred. We're more concerned about our own skin and maybe revealing a prejudice against the people that God's calling us to. They're different from us. They don't believe the same things. I don't like the way they act. I don't like the things they do. I'm not going to go preach love and forgiveness and mercy and compassion to those people. How is God challenging you this morning? Here's where the rubber meets the road. If you're silencing your tongue from sharing the gospel today, this season of your life, if you are closing your mouth and not speaking Christ, it reveals a hatred in your own heart towards other people. You're more concerned about your own skin, your own reputation, how people might respond if I actually speak up about Jesus? Or is there a prejudice against the people that God's calling you to speak to? I can't talk to those sinners. They're stained and dirty. I would never speak to them. It's a challenge for me, challenge for us as a church. If we're not speaking Christ, are we hating others? I want to encourage you with a story. There was a church member recently called me up a couple weeks ago and said, I'm so excited. Pray for me. Pray with me. I've been praying for a long time, and finally God has given me the opportunity to share the gospel with my boss. I don't want to give you all the details. I know their heart is not to be praised among our church. But I'll tell you this, knowing the situation, knowing that he works for the government, 
there's truly a risk to walk into your boss's office and explain the gospel. There's a risk there. And you know what? He said, forget it. I don't care about the risk. I'm going to do what God's called me to do. I want to show love. I want to love this person. I want to speak to them about the compassion of God and the grace that's found in the gospel. That's what it would look like if Nona would have said, yes, God, take me to Nineveh. I'm going. I'm there. But he didn't. How is God calling you out of what's comfortable today, this week, this month, this season of your life? Can we get out of our comfort zones and fulfill the mission that he's given us? Here's part two. It's embracing the heart of God for the nations calls us into his presence. Twice there you see in the passage that Jonah ran away or Jonah fleed from the presence of the Lord. Now I'm not saying here that Jonah actually thought he could get away from God's presence. I think he probably knew the truth of Psalm 139. Listen to what it says here about God's omnipresence. If I ascend to the heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. The ultimate irony here is not that Jonah didn't get this truth, that he couldn't leave God's presence. The ultimate irony is I think Jonah knew this truth and he ran anyways. Jonah knew, I can't get away from God. I can't escape this calling in my life. But he still tried. Fleeing the presence of God. See, the argument here that I'm wanting to make is, had Jonah not fleed from God, had Jonah not ran away, there would have been a blessing, a joy, and an intimacy in close connection with God by obeying this calling that God was giving him to go to Nineveh. Even though it would have been hard, even though it wouldn't have been comfortable, even though there was some prejudice that needed to be uh, refined in his own heart, I think the joy would have far outweighed the fleeing. I think that's why we have the repetition that what he was actually doing was fleeing away from the presence of God, fleeing away from this joy in obeying him. Certainly, Father God, we just... It's not the first time that we've seen that. We've looked at Matthew 28 before, this great commission. We read it this morning, right? Go, make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them everything that I've taught you. And behold, I am with you to the end of the age. Jesus promises his, his disciples right there, my presence will be with you. If you want me, if you want more of my presence, if you want joy in relationship with me, do what I've told you. Go and make disciples. Now, I'm not saying that we can't experience God's presence if we're disobeying that, but what I am saying is I am sure we will have more joy and more of God's manifest presence in our life as we obey him and go to the ends of the earth. That's what's happening here with Jonah. He's deciding, I'd rather go away from God's presence than obey him. That's not okay. We see the repetition there. The text is pretty clear. He's fleeing God's presence. And it wasn't just that he was trying to hide. Let me just be very clear here. He wasn't saying, well, maybe later, maybe next week. I just want to skirt away from what God's calling me to do for a moment. The language that's used here in the text shows us that he was actually trying to do the very opposite thing God was calling him to do. It says there, arise and go. This idea to get up and go out. And then twice, again, repetition, it says, he went down to Tarshish. 
He went down into the ship. This idea, God's calling him to go up and out, and rather instead, Jonah goes down and out. Complete opposite direction. We see another contrast when we understand that he was called to go to Nineveh, but Tarshish is actually the opposite direction. And scholars and commentators would tell you that in that day, the ships that they used, in those days, the round trip to go to Tarshish and back was a long, long time. Three years. Three years. God says, arise, go immediately. There's an urgency. Go take my message to Nineveh. Jonah says, nope. I'm fleeing your presence, doing the exact opposite thing. And frankly, God, I want to be away from you for three years. That's a long time. Revealing his heart, revealing this is the exact opposite thing that God was calling him to do. The book starts out so quickly that we don't actually know the author. Some scholars say Jonah wrote this after he had repented, after he had made right with the Lord, after he saw God's compassion on this pagan nation. Others say it might have been another author under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but either way we know one thing. Whether it was Jonah after the fact writing and he just didn't take credit for it, or whether it was another author that God used to give us the scriptures, the reason they knew this story is because Jonah had come back in the Hebrew oral tradition and had shared this thing. I fleed God's presence. I shouldn't have done it. It was stupid. I walked away from his presence. Listen to what God did. He sent the storm. He sent the fish. I repented. He spit me back out. He sent me again. I went. They repented. I was frustrated because I hate those people. I went out to the desert. I just wanted to die. You know what? God's so good. He's so compassionate. He spared my life. Let me tell you this story. I think it might have gone something like that. As if Jonah was saying, don't make my same mistakes. Don't do it. It's not worth it. You are fleeing God's presence. I would much rather you have the joy and intimacy of knowing God and obeying God. So if that's the case this morning, what we need to do thousands of years later is make sure we listen to Jonah. And we don't do it. He's wanting to say running from God, it's a futile effort, right? Almost as if this hamster that gets inside a wheel and just runs and runs and runs, it spins and spins and spins and goes absolutely nowhere. Why? Because it's a futile attempt to disobey God, rebel against God. He called me to Nineveh and I fled his presence. I wish I would have never done that. Learn from my mistake. Don't do it. Be serious about what God's calling you to do. Be serious about the task that he's given you. I'm not certain because I don't know the man, but I think it might have gone something like that. So the application for us is, do we want more of God's presence? Do we want to walk in that kind of joy and closeness, intimacy with God, obeying what he's called us to? If that's the case, we need to hear Jonah. We need to hear the testimony of the scriptures. We need to hear this commission that Christ has given us to go and to make disciples. Here's the truth of the gospel. If Christ has redeemed you, if he's bought and purchased and paid for your sin at the cross, and he showed you your sin, he's revealed that to you. He didn't only show you his sin, he said to you, now go out. Now you've repented and believed in me. I've changed you, given you a new heart, redeemed you from the inside out. 
Go and represent me. Be my ambassadors. Here's this ministry of reconciliation. I've given you a new identity so that you can make a difference for my kingdom. That's the gospel. It's not that we go because we think we're earning something. I'm not saying he's calling you into his presence, and the only way you have the presence of God is by making disciples. God graciously gives us an invite. We don't earn it. But I guarantee you, if your heart's been changed by the gospel, the proper response is obedience. The proper response is a yearning and a longing, a desire to be obeying Christ, with Christ, close to Christ. That's the truth of the gospel. So why would we not want to go tell everyone about this good news? It's not just that we have a mission emphasis once a year so that we can remind ourselves what God is doing. We want to live this way every single week, every single month. So praise God for reminders, but this isn't just the time, okay, it's around October, November, let's think about mission. We want to live this and have this be a part of our DNA as a church called out of the comfortable, called into the presence of God. As we come to a close, I want you to look at verse number four one more time. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. I know this seems like a simple question, but who's sending the storm here? God, in his sovereignty, is telling the winds and the waves, the hurricanes and the cyclones on the water, go and get that ship. Stop that ship. There's a man on that ship that's trying to go away from my presence. You go stop them. God sends the storm. Here's the crazy thing. God's not sending the storm because he's mad. God's sending the storm because he wants Jonah to obey. It's a gracious thing for God to break into history and, and send this storm, stop him in his tracks. That's a gracious thing. If it's true that Jonah's greatest joy will be in obeying God and walking close with God and heading to Nineveh and fulfilling his calling, God stopping him in his tracks is not a mean-spirited act. It's a gracious thing for God to say, Jonah, stop. I told you to go to Nineveh. Go to Nineveh. It's God's grace. Now, I'm not saying that all storms and any trial and any temptation in your life today is directly from the hand of God. I'm not saying that, okay? We live under a curse. We live under sin. We live under craziness. I'm not trying to say that, but what I don't want to deny is God's sovereign ability to break in right here on the ocean and stop Jonah in his tracks. I don't want to ignore the fact that God sends the storm. There's something gracious about God breaking into your life and stopping you. And so we need to ask the question, if we don't have a heart for the nations like God has a heart for the nations, if it's truly every believer's responsibility to go to the ends of the earth, to speak Christ here, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, if that's every Christian's responsibility, if we're disobeying that, and God hasn't sent a storm yet, do you think he could? Do you think he might? I don't want to put that past God, and this is not 
some fear tactic. You better obey or else you're going to get the storm. It's not what I'm trying to say. But I'm saying he did it to Jonah. And I just wonder if maybe today, responding to the truth of God's word is what you need instead of the storm, right? Let's embrace God's heart for the nations. Or maybe it's more difficult than that. Maybe you're currently in a storm. You're walking through something that's so tough and so hard, and it feels like the winds and the waves and your ship's about to break up, and you're just at this moment of brokenness. God, you have to do something because I can't do it anymore. I'm not saying God sent that in your life. Maybe it's just the curse of sin that we're under. But I wonder if today you would consider and just ask God, Lord, are you trying to get my attention? Are you trying to change something in me? Do you want me to turn away and get closer to obeying all of your commands? God, show me. I'm in the middle of this storm. God, show me. And if that's what's happening, it's not a mean-spirited, sovereign God who's just trying to smite you. It's a gracious thing for him to break into your life, stop you in your tracks, and say there's more joy in obeying me. There's more joy in obeying me. I don't know where you are, but I know there's tons of response this morning. There's tons of ways that we can approach God and ask Him, give me your heart for the nations. How is God, just like He did to Jonah, calling you out from what's comfortable so that you might boldly speak Christ? How is He calling you out of that comfort? Or is there a hatred in your own heart that God's revealed to you today, prejudice against a certain kind of people, or just a selfishness. I'm more concerned about my own skin than their ability to know you, Jesus. Is God showing that to you in your heart today? If so, repent. Turn away from that and say, God, refine me and conform me more and more and more into the image of your Son. Or how can we together as a church during this specific season of mission emphasis, and then always building it into the DNA of our church, how can we embrace God's heart for the nation?